Welcome to week two of Genesis, if you will. Make your way over to Genesis. I usually tell you how to get to the book of Genesis, or whatever book we're in. This one, just, it's the first one. Go there. That's much easier than Hezekiah. All right. Um, <clears throat> this week, we're getting into all the things that God has made, or most of them anyway. We won't quite get to uh, the pinnacle of mankind. Uh, we're going to share something. When our, when our kids were, were younger, they were learning the same children's catechism that the children in the worship training uh, is part of what they're learning when they're, they're there right now each week. Now, if you're not familiar with this term catechism, and I mentioned this because I wasn't for years, I was like, what is that? That sounds weird and creepy, uh, right? It just comes from this Greek term that means to instruct orally, uh, and all catechisms are just really, if you really want to understand them, they're a system of a question and an answer that helps you understand complex things and, and makes them real, real simple for you. And so they are generally memorized and, and give you short answers. And so anyway, in the children's catechism, the first question is, who made you? And the children will respond, God. And question two is, is, is what else did God make? And the four-word answer to, to this, you know, is, it really, it's a four-word answer to everything we're going to look at in Genesis today, uh, and it's this, it's God made all things, and, and so that's question two of the children's catechism. Now, when our children were little, we'd, we'd ask them some follow-up questions, because we had this idea of, like, we want them learning this, but we don't want it just to be rote, uh, and, and so one day we, we asked little Beckham, um, what didn't God make? And we're expecting him to say, well, nothing, right? Because he made everything. But only he throws a knuckleball at us and he says, uh, dragons? And you have that parenting thing where you look at each other and you're like, I mean, he's right. Like, <laughs> you, you know, and so you kind of, you know, once we stopped laughing and we're just trying to get our head around, you know, the unexpectedness of that, we really were able to come around and say, you know, well, okay, well, God makes everything that actually does exist, right? Even your brain, which is able to imagine dragons. Now, the other thing we, we need to know right from the start here is Genesis is not exhaustive account of creation. It is only one page long. You can imagine if you had been watching and knew all the details, you could probably write a little bit more than that. Now, this doesn't tell us every detail. We don't learn about the first time a chicken laid an egg. We don't learn about the first time that Eve decided to try some spicy hot pepper and all the regret that went into that. We, there's all kinds of things in creation that aren't actually recorded here. Now, um, Right, But Genesis and, and the rest of the scriptures, what they do tell us is they tell us everything we need to know if we're going to, to know God, to really know who he is, right? That we might know him rightly. And, and so again, this week, I, I, I do want to show you now some of the structure of Genesis because it helps us understand it as we go through it. I know it's not always the most interesting, but uh, it's for your good, right? So the first thing and the most obvious one is that it is laid out in these seven days, Right? Uh, today, we're going to cover the first five days and part of, of six, right? Not the creation of man yet. Uh, now, the first six days of creation are made up of these two sets of days. If you were to lay them out side by side, and, and by that I, I, I mean if you put, uh, well, first of all, the, the two sets of days, to really understand them, right, they, they are, are, are a remedy to what God declared in verse 2, which is the earth was without form and void, right? Or, or as we talked about last week, it was uninhabitable, and it was uninhabited, right? Uninhabitable and uninhabited. And, and so these two sets of days, um, on, on days one to three, God forms the world. He makes it inhabitable. And then on days four to six, God fills the world. That is, he creates animals and he creates people to inhabit the world that he has created. Now the first set of days, one to three, correspond to, to, to the days four through six. So uh, one goes to four, 
two goes to five, and, and three goes to six. It's a little easier if you can see it all right now, but you can't right now. So here's what I mean. Uh, the light in the darkness that God creates on day one corresponds to the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars on day four, the things that are going to designate light and day later on. Now, uh, day two, God creates the sea and the sky. This corresponds to day five because on day five, he creates the fish and the birds that are going to swim into the, in, in the waters and going to fly in the sky that he created on day two. Uh, day three, God creates the lands and the plants. And, uh, and on day six, the corresponding day, God creates land animals and people that will dwell on that land and eat those plants. <clears throat> so uh, two more little details, and then we'll actually get to the passage itself. It, it has been said that, that all people either hate grammar, right? That's one category, or people are weird. Those are the only two categories when it comes to this. Now there's something really interesting in this whole first chapter of Genesis <clears throat> that's just fascinating, grammatically speaking. <clears throat> God is the only subject in the entire chapter. But what that means is that the God is the only one who is acting, the only one doing anything in the entire first chapter. Everything else is, is, is an object, right? Or at least every, everything acted upon, right? God does the acting and everything else is acted upon. And if you really want to like dilute it down to what we're actually talking about, right? There's, there's seven verbs that we see over these six days of things that God does. God spoke, God saw, he called, he made, he separated, he created, and he set, right? One thing he sets in verse 17. Now, now then, uh, the last thing you need to know before we read is, is there is a pattern to every one of these six days of creation. And it helps you to kind of understand the whole thing if you can get this. Uh, we're going to use day one as an example, even though we haven't read it. You'll see it better after we read it in a minute. But uh, first, there is an announcement, right? God said, he said something. Then there is a command, let there be, in the case of day one, let there be light. Uh, third, there is a fulfillment of God's command. Whatever he commands actually comes about. It is a reality. Now, on, on every day except the second day, there is a positive evaluation. God saw that the light was good. Uh, and then sometimes there's a little more detail given, or God will name the things that he has created. And, and finally, the last thing in this pattern is there is a chronological marker that, that is given. There, there was evening and morning the first day. So that gives us these, these things. Now, let's, let's work through these first six days, and I'm going to point things out as we go, and then a couple points of application at the end. Now, instead of reading it all once, because I know it sounds great that way, but it's a little tough to keep it fresh in your mind, and I want you to, to see it as it's divided up in, the, in Scripture this way, right? We're going to begin with the first two verses from last week, and then we'll do day one, and, and then we'll go forward, and we'll, hit it, we'll read again each time we get there. So keep your Bible open so that you can follow along. <clears throat> all right, <clears throat> day one, or rather, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. Yeah, Heavenly Father, you are worthy of unrelenting praise simply because you are the sovereign and sole creator of all things. Holy Spirit, may this passage in Genesis stir up our hearts so that we can genuinely say with the Apostle John in Revelation 4, 
Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Lord, uh, enlighten our minds as we come through your word today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here we are, day one, right? Even before God creates the sun, the moon, the stars, God creates light. And immediately our heads want to say, well, how is that possible? There's no source of light. How is there light? And what we see here, right, is that God himself is the light that he provided. This is rather intriguing when you look at the whole aspect of Scripture, right? Because here we learn that the Bible actually begins in the same way that it ends, right? It, with God instead of the sun providing light. In Revelation 21, 23, Jesus says, The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And then the next chapter, which is the last chapter of Revelation 22.5, we read this, that, that God's people, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. Now in verse 4 in the passage before us today, God declares the creation of light to be good, right? If you write in your, your Bibles, if you're one of those people, every time you see that today, you're going to see it a total of six times in our passage. Um, I, I want you to just underline that. Let that set in. God's creation is good. That's what God declares. Now the extra details on day one show us that God separated the light from the darkness. There is this separation occurring, right? And he names these two distinctions. There is the day and there is the night. And I want you to notice how God himself uh, names these things here, right? Uh, It's God who has the authority to do so. And I I tell you this because it's very significant later in chapter 2, after God has created man in his own image, he actually gives authority to man to name things. There is this this, we'll see it later when we get to that. Right now, just, just notice it here. Now, the other specific detail here is in regards to God separating. Five times in the act of creation, God separates in really wonderful ways. We tend to think of all separation as bad, and some of them are. Your separation from God is, is, is bad, right? Separations be, because of conflict are, are bad, right? But uh, we, we don't always value good, good boundaries, and, and we should. There are good boundaries that the Lord makes, right? You ever... You, you ever see one of those big roads in those third world nations? There's always some camera on it, and then you see whizzing by, right? There's no line in the middle. There's no distinction between where the road is, and it isn't. And there's cars, and there's trucks, and there's mopeds, and some guy riding on a donkey, and all this stuff just going all over the place, and it's absolute chaos, right? I mean, you, you compare that to the roads we have and the way we see boundaries, and they work for good. Now, the boundaries that God has established in creation, they are good. There's day and night. We see sky and water, land and sea, man and woman. These are all very good distinctions that the Lord has made. Now, the other detail I want to discuss here is one that in the last hundred years or so has been no small controversy. Does this term day mean 24-hour day as we know it to be today, or does it mean something else? Right? You have a look at this. It's translated from the Hebrew word that sounds uh, something like what Cookie Monster would say, the word yom, right? You can hear it, right? Yom, yom, yom. Uh, the, the word in Scripture usually means 24-hour day. That is most often what it means. Uh, on the other hand, it's not always what it means. Um, uh, the, the, the mention of morning and evening here in verse 5 certainly paints a picture uh, of a normal day in the way that we understand it. It sounds like that. Uh, but really the question is, why is this a controversy anyway? You know, why was it not a controversy 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. It's, it's, it's because of this. When scientists and others observe the creation, what they observe appears significantly older than what we would expect. 
right? If you try to figure out the age of the earth by, by going backwards and counting the generations from Adam to Jesus and all the years that follow, that kind of thing, you end up with an earth that is much younger. If you look at things like rock formations today, though, right? If you look at things like uh, the fact that we can see light that has traveled from a star that, from all calculations, looks to be uh, 2.3 million miles away, right, based on the speed of light. <clears throat> well, how could that light have traveled 2.3 million miles uh, this far if the world is, you know, thousands of years, you know, old instead of, or sorry, instead of thousands of years old, is actually millions of years old? That's the only way you can kind of make sense out of that. And so you've got these, this evidence you're trying to make sense out of what has always been been, been believed when you look at Genesis. Now, because of the various evidence that point to something other than a 24-hour day, people have developed all sorts of theories explaining how this can actually be so. Now, if, you, if <clears throat> I'll give you just a short version of a few of these, okay? Some of the more common ones. The, the first is just it's, it's 24 normal hours, uh, and it's usually explained in one of two ways. One, either A, science is completely wrong, don't know what they're talking about, and all the evidence has is, is been interpreted really wrong. Or B, God has simply made the world look older. You know, kind of like those, those jeans that my daughter owns that are worn out and looks like maybe she survived a tiger attack, right? But she bought them brand new. She paid extra for them that way, uh, right? <clears throat> They're just made to look older. Maybe the earth's that way. And it's this idea of it's just God created the world to look mature. Maybe the light was, you know, most of the way there to begin with, that kind of thing. And, and those who challenge uh, this view, right, will say something along the lines of, of you know, when, when God, if that's indeed the way God created the world, why in the world deceive us in that way is, is the argument against it. Now, the, the second view is the gap view. There is this long period of time between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that explains all the formation of things and why it looks so old. There are all sorts of variations on this view that somehow put a large gap of time either between the days or between some days or these are God's work days or all these different ideas that, that somehow explained a lot uh, of things there. Now the, the last one I'll mention is, is what is called the framework view. And this is the one that says this is, this is really just a literary structure. It's not designed to tell us one day at all or two day at all. It's, it's really just trying to explain to us the truth of creation in a way that we can understand. And so it's a framework for, for teaching truth. Now, so those are kind of the three main overarching ideas. And so I know you're like, well, which one's true or which do you think is true, right? Well, R.C. Sproul, who said he believed it was literally 24 hours, he also said this. If someone asks me how old the earth is, I tell them I don't know because I don't know, right? So you've got that going on one hand. Now, other theologians whose names you might be familiar with who believe it's 24-hour days, John Piper, a guy a little older, John Calvin, Louis Burkhoff, Kevin DeYoung strongly leans that way. <clears throat> on the other hand, that take uh, some sort of longer view, right? Uh, Augustine, Tim Keller, J. Gresham Machen, James Montgomery Boyce, Francis Schaeffer, right? These all believed it was something longer than a 24-hour day or something other than a 24-hour day. And I, I share those names, not because, like, well, if we can, whoever has the longer list, that's the winner, right? That's not the idea. I, I share these for the, with you because I want you to see something really important here, that, that godly, Scripture-loving people who trust Jesus, that believe the gospel, who live their whole life dedicated to that, uh, actually, you know, hold to the er inerrancy of Scripture. Th there are guys on both sides. There are people on both sides that hold both of those views. You understand that? In other words, if you use the literal 24-hour day as a litmus test for someone's orthodoxy, it would be very wise to reconsider doing that. Now, as, as James Boyce once wrote, 
nothing is to be gained by insisting that God had to create all things in six literal days, uh, six literal 24-hour days. Or as Richard Phillips recently said, right, just as science are imperfect readers of nature, Christians are also imperfect readers of Scripture. I'll give you an example of that. That the Roman Catholic Church in the 1600s, right, interpreted Joshua 10:12, right, as teaching that the earth was, was the center of the universe and that, the, that uh, the earth was the center and that the sun and everything else rotated around it, right? That's the geocentric idea, right? <clears throat> and, and so when Galileo's research came and said, you know what, we've been looking into this, we got evidence, here's what we're seeing, uh, the sun is actually the center and the earth goes around the sun and so does everything else in our little area, right? Um, and, and what they did in this was, how dare you contradict the way we interpret scripture? And they tried him and they found him guilty of heresy. They, they sentenced him to house arrest for the rest of his life. And then a few hundred years later in 1820, the Roman Catholic Church acknowledged the sun was the center of the universe, finally saying, well, like, Galileo was right in this sense. In 1992, that's not very long ago, some of you were in high school, all uh, right, when they finally repented, in, uh, you know, of declaring Galileo to be a heretic. It took a while, but they finally got around to it. Good for them. <clears throat> Listen, you, you do not need to reject all modern science to believe in Genesis. I think some Christians need to hear that. You, you do not need to disbelieve Genesis to, to believe genuine science. Some of you need to hear that. <clears throat> science seeks to explain the world that God has created. Sometimes science does it right, and sometimes science does it wrong. Now, if, if, if one day you find yourself standing before God and you learn, you know what, it was 24 literal hours, that should not surprise you. Right? There's all kinds of things you might have misunderstood and it's actually 24 hours. But the opposite is also true. If you, you know, if you're committed to that and you, someday you're standing before the Lord and you learn, you know what, there was, here's how it was. A long period of time here and this is what was going on. This is how I meant it. That shouldn't surprise you either. And neither of these should, should do anything to, to, to make your faith struggle. Right? Uh, we are limited in our understanding here. And in our denomination, I know some of you wonder, right, for those being ordained, you can hold a variety of these views so long as one affirms that, uh, that one, our, our, our triune God and only he created everything and that he created it out of nothing, right? So long as one affirms that Adam and Eve are historically real people, and that really is an important thing because if you, if you lose that, that they are historically and real, right, it, it really destroys the atonement, it really destroys everything that that comes through Christ, uh, the gospel indeed will fall apart. So that's, that's that, right? We'll, we'll leave it there for now. Now, let, let's read day two, beginning in, in verse, uh, verse six. I'm going to read it from here. <clears throat> and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were, were the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. You know, here the sky is, is being described in the way that, that we see it, okay? You've got to understand when the Lord is, is re revealing this to his people, it's going to be in a way that they're going to understand it for sure. So as you're looking up there, they see the atmosphere, they see the sky as, as water, that's where rain comes from. Possibly there was more water at the time, uh, right, because rain has not come yet. Uh, but that's really what's going on. There's not a whole lot we're going to get into here. So let's, let's move on to day three, beginning in verse nine. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. 
and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation plants, yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which, which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. So at this point, God has finished forming the earth, and he has created here the first living things in the sense of plants, right? And one of the amazing things we see God doing here is that he creates them with this built into them, this ability to, to reproduce, right? There's a creative aspect to, the, to these, these plants, right? So to multiply by seeds, each according to its own kind, uh, meaning a banana tree is going to result in a banana tree, right? It's not going to suddenly become an apple tree when she plants a banana seed. I don't even know what a banana seed looks like. Probably little. Um, okay, on to day four, verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to, to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. All right, so you might have noticed here... Um, the sun and the moon, they're identified here as, as these two great lights. Why in the world not just use those terms? He uses the term later, right? Why, why not now, right? Uh, the thing going on here is it's very intentional. You remember the time that this was given to Moses, that this was given to his people as they've just come out of Egypt. They've just come out uh, having escaped, right? And, and in Egypt, they, uh, they understood these to be in, in, in their lore, right? To, to be gods themselves, the sun and the star and the moon, and, and that's what's going on there. And, and so the, the reason the stars are, you know, the, so the whole point here is he wants you to say, you know what? All those things that the Egyptians are saying gods, are saying are gods, they're not. These are things God has created. Don't worship them. Don't bow down to them. Don't make sacrifices to them. Don't, don't look to them to accomplish things for you. They are just creations of God. And that's his overwhelming point here. Now, the reason the stars are called signs in verse 14 is because they give people bearings for navigation. Uh, even at this time, that was the closest thing they had to our modern day GPS, right? You kind of follow that, we're going this way, that kind of thing. So uh, when we look at the universe, the planets, when we look at the stars, which is amazing. I know I told you a lot about it last week. I did a little more research on it this week and learned, right, anyway, however they number these things, uh, that phrase you've heard, scientists really believe this anyway, that, that there are more stars in the sky than there are sands of grain on the seashores. And every time I hear that, I think that can't be right. And yet, I don't know how they do the math, right? But, but that's what is being reported anyway. Uh, and your mind is just blown by that. I can't make sense out of that. Uh, anyway, all this points to one central truth, that God created the world that you live in. I know most of you are, are, are Christians in this room. You're like, well, yeah, we know that. We knew that before we came in here, right? So, but it's deep and it's true and it's real, right? 
Now, that's where it really should amaze us. Now, Sir Isaac Newton, who was a 17th century mathematician, he was a philosopher, he was a scientist, and also he was a Christian, right? In his office, he had this mini replica of our solar system that someone had made him, and it had a sun and all the planets rotating around it, and it had these little gears and belts and things that made it work. Uh, and it was kind of this amazing little thing. And, and Newton tells the story this way. He says that uh, one of his, his atheist, unbelieving friends stopped by one day while he was busy working on something else. And, and, and while his friend picked this thing up and is looking at it and is so amazed from it, and he goes, my, Newton, this thing is exquisite. Who made this for you? And, and without looking up, Newton replied, nobody. And his friend asked, nobody? And, and, and Newton replied again, that's right, I said Nobody. All these balls and cogs and belts and gears just happened to come together, and wonder of wonders, by chance, they began revolving in their set, set orbits with perfect timing. And his friend got the point, right? It would be foolish to look at this device and conclude that anything other than an intelligent creator had come in and made this, and it's foolish to observe the universe that we actually live in and come to that conclusion as well. And yet we know people do, right? There's a work of God that shows these things for us or to us. Uh, now, let's, let's read verse 5, beginning in verse 20. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let, let birds multiply on the earth. And, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. Right? And in short, what it's explaining here is the creation of whales and sharks and seals and dolphins, right? With the birds of ducks and flamingos and eagles and the hummingbirds. And, you know, the question arises, and this is going to put on that list, right? That expanding list of things to ask God, right? Where, were there ostriches and emus made on this day? Because they don't fly, right? Only God knows for sure. You can ask them someday. So here we go on to the sixth day, and we're just going to look at the first part of it, but let's begin in verse 24 here. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and <clears throat> everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So here we have the creation beast, right? The beast are animals like bears and, and deer. The livestock are domesticated things like pigs and cows. The, the creeping things are all sorts of smaller animals like squirrels or the amazing armadillo that we have down in Texas. I think they've made their way up here now. I see them dead every once in a while. Uh, so also on day six is the creation of humans, which is so incredibly special. It is the crescendo of creation, and, and so we're going to focus on that next week and the whole image of God aspect of that. Uh, for now, I, I want to point out a few more things about what we've seen in the creation here, and the first is super obvious, right? God, who has sovereign authority over everything, He created the universe you live in, the earth you dwell upon, the, the body and the soul that is you. Because of this, God is worthy of your acknowledgement. And far more than that, God is worthy of your worship for this alone. 
It's because of who he is, right? One of the best ways that for us to express our, our worship is in gratitude to God for all of creation. As Christians, we are often hold this, this unbiblical, dualistic idea, right? And, and maybe you find yourself falling into this, that everything spiritual is good and everything material is, is bad, right? But six times already in the creation, we, we've seen God declare the creation is good, it's good, it's good. If God, who created this world, finds material, the material world to be good, who are we to see it any other way? We too must understand that it's good. And yes, I know, since the fall, it is stained by sin. There is disease and death in this world. There are floods. There are tornadoes. There are awful things that happen. There are murderers. There are so many awful things done by one man to another man in the, on this planet. But, but at the heart, even now, God's creation all around you is good. It is amazing. Pay attention. You're out on a dark night, pay attention to the stars. I think with all the lights and our tendency to be inside and looking at screens all the time, we, we tend to miss just the amazement of that. Right? Pay attention to animals, to plants, to it all. In other words, Christians learn to delight in God's good creation just like God does. When you taste a ripe peach, right, delight in that delicious taste of God's good creation. I believe it was Martin Luther who, after tasting a, a really good beer, would actually proclaim to everyone, ah, that's good creation, is what he would say about it, right? Be because it's God who created a world that, that works in such a way by, by really combining a bunch of lame things, grain and water and yeast and hops, things no one really wants to eat, hardly, right, actually results in, in beer that way. That's what he's saying. And so he rejoices in that. As John Calvin famously said, the world was no doubt made that it might be a theater of the divine glory. Are we looking at it? I think too often we, we walk into the theater and we just look down and we don't see it. And so put down your phone, look up, look out, right, to, to all that God has created and praise God for it. We're coming to that time of year, right? You can praise God for the pumpkins that get baked into those delicious pies or made into lattes, right? And, you know, for the cool breeze that is going to come. You'll probably praise the Lord for that more this year than usual, right? When, when was the last time, though, you just sat and watched a squirrel do its weird squirrel thing and just amazed that, like, God made it to do this weird stuff, right? Or a cat or a spider doing a web or all those kind of crazy things. And you just look and you thought, God, your creativity, it just... It's incredible. I, uh, I love to get into all the weird stuff. I won't do much of it here, right? But there's, there's the world we have. There is a plant in the Philippines called a pitcher plant. It will swallow whole rats and eat them. It's a plant. There, there are bugs that can spray boiling water onto their enemies. There's an ant that will just explode on its enemies. There are so many fascinating, fascinating things in the world, and, and we miss them left and right. Learn about these things and, and look to the Lord and with, with, with just worship for his creativity. Not to the item itself, but to the Lord who made them. Now, now, Romans 1 makes clear that all of creation shows us two things. God's eternal power and, and, and God's divine nature. It shows us his eternal power and his divine nature. In other words, uh, it, that God exists and that God is glorious. We can see that, right? You're not going to know about Jesus. You're not going to know about the sacrifice of the cross, the resurrection. But you can go out and look at the world and, and you can see, right? We are held accountable for the fact that this all points to God. 
Now, now finally, in the creation, we, we see that God's will is, is carried out. He says, let there be light, and there's light. It just responds to God. Day, day one of our passage introduces, right, as, as this is happening, this, this motif of, of darkness opposing light, and this motif of light versus darkness goes throughout all of Scripture. In the created, created realm, where, you know, wherever light exists, darkness does not. They do not coexist. It's impossible. That, that, that's true for your soul as well, right? Ephesians 5.8 declares to the Christian, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We, we experience this in all sorts of ways, but ultimately the very same God who created and, and, and distributed the stars out into the seemingly endless universe out there, right? The same God who filled the earth with plants and creatures of incredible creativity. The same God who orchestrated the, the fascinating complexity of the cells and the DNA in your body. He will act on your behalf when you come to Him. When, when, when God says, let there be light in the soul of a man or a woman or a child, there Christ shines driving out darkness. There will be light. Now, that's why Jesus in John 8, 12 uh, of Himself says, I am the light of the world. And still, and, and we'll close here, uh, close with a, a quote from, from Francis Schaeffer here. I want you to hear this. He said, our praise to God is not, first of all, in the area of soteriology, meaning salvation. Uh, he goes on. If we are being fully scriptural, we do not praise him first because he saved us, but because he is there and he has always been there. We praise him because he willed all other things, including man, into existence. As you go about your day today, as you go about your week this week, take in the creation. All around you, out, out in your yard, if you go to a park, if you look up at the sky at night, if you drink water, try to make sense all your body does with that. I mean, every little bit of it, you see it, right? Foods you eat, all these things. As you go about this, I want you to take in creation all around you. What you see, what you hear, what you feel, what you smell, what you taste, and worship God. Not these items, but worship God who created these items. Who created you to be able to even appreciate it. Let's pray. Sovereign God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. As we go about our days this coming week, please make us more aware of all the wonders of your creation. And please cause this to fill us with a renewed sense of awe and wonder and ultimately worship of you. God, I fall into this too where I'm so mesmerized by technology that I fail to see even you behind it. That things work the way they work because you have created a world that has order and structure. Gravity doesn't just take a day off. And so Lord, make us aware of these things and draw our hearts to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.